Welcome back to another episode of Decode. I'm joined with my co-host, Young Agamben. Hello. And we have an awesome guest here today, Elliot Rosenstock, who a lot of you may know from the Twitter sphere. Um, so, Elliot, I'm happy to actually have you on the podcast. Uh, this has been long in the making. I feel like we've talked to you about this almost like a year back, if not more. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. Um, this is like very common with people on, on Twitter. It's like, oh, we should do a podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah we should do a podcast. I think I still have like three non-existent podcasts in, <laughs> yeah. the, like, in the ether. But this one is this one's actualized. It's went from the realm of possibility to a real interpersonal interaction. So now we're going to we're going to expand some concepts for everybody and contribute to world spirit undoubtedly <laughs> so um hopefully hopefully that's the case maybe uh, so elliot i've known you um at least parasocially for quite some time um i think like young had mentioned i think the first time that i caught drift of you was through that uh facebook meme page so um, right i guess would you like to give the for those who don't know you directly from twitter would you like to give some of those um in the audience a little bit of background about yourself right i made this facebook page the thing about facebook is it really lets you just administratively be dictatorial and <laughs> with no feedback whatsoever in like juking the algorithm which is not like twitter twitter you actually like have to like kind of communicate with people but I decided to make anarcho-accelerationist means for egoist teens, which kind of is just like a lot of different signifiers all at once, just because Twitter had like the <laughs> Excelosphere and like some anarchist practice uh, or praxis and Sterner and all that. And I was kind of interested in that. So I so I made this. And the, another thing I made was a Freud group. So this is like the other mm -hmm. thing I do on the Facebook.com. And that, that was over 100,000 people at one point before Facebook shut it down. Um, <laughs> and now it's now it's like at 13,000 people or something like that, the second version. Elliot, um, do you have any, sorry to interrupt, do you have any relation yeah. to that like Zizek page? Um, what is it called? Something about like Zizek memes. That one's pretty big too. I don't know if you... No, no, I don't actually have a Zizek meme page okay. specifically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that That's not me. There's, there's, uh, there's other people in the... In the, it is like, you know, Twitter, you guys have like cool handles, but not everyone can be cool. For instance, I can't <laughs> really be all that cool, but I can be like res relentlessly normie. And that's why, <laughs> that's why I like thrive on Facebook, which is, it is like hardcore, normcore, relentless. Like this is my actual face and life and job and license number <laughs> like that that sort of vibe which is like there's something about it which is which is a little like it's unsettling it is like hyper normality um but i do yeah. like I, I i feel like this is more my wheelhouse i'd love to be like a twitter poet and i'd love to have like a cool handle <laughs> but I, i'm literally incompetent i literally could not do that so <laughs> I, wonder how I, much I respect everyone that can i wonder how much of it is um how much it relates to your interest in egoism um Oh yeah, I never thought of that. You, normcore. Do you think normcore is specifically like egoistic, like instead of an anegoic? Nick Land once criticized something and he said, "I'm the bad diagonal." 
He said the good diagonal is anegoic capitalism. And then he shared something I said. And he said, this is the bad diagonal, (laughs) which is is like egoist socialism. He also shared one thing. He also compared me to, he called me and Richard Spencer in the same tweet, both leftists, and then (laughs) caused them to argue. So he he just said, he says weird stuff. He's also kind of a, if we're talking about like weird posting techniques i I guess nick land is he's like the he's like synthesizes certain aspects of uh boomer facebookism and transports Mm -hmm. it to twitter um which gets him a lot of reactions um but it's kind of uh it's kind of synthetic in the same way that like justin murphy um like you can tell that he like puts effort into making his tweets bait yeah, right. he's a big baiter. A master baiter, you could say. <laughs> um, but yeah, um I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your um about your books in terms of uh, you've written uh, some works with Zero. Yeah. Um I know that you have uh Zizek in the clinic and then uh forgive me, I I should know. It's, I should have I, I should have the name written down, but it's it's the ego and its hyperstate is the second one. Mm-hmm. Um right. I mean the Zizek in the clinic was all about just applying contemporary right. philosophy to clinical work, which is not really done. Like a lot of the people I was uh Doug Lane's new channel, so I don't do anything with zero anymore. I don't even yeah. I barely do anything with Doug Lane anymore, honestly, but I would right. do some maybe he'd publish me in the future. I was trying to apply basic kind of modern philosophy or contemporary philosophy to the clinic, which is not, nobody needs to do that. Who's on Twitter. Everybody is into modern contemporary philosophy, but if you go into clinical mental health, it's the exact opposite. It's like common sense, pure ideology everywhere. And people are uh, given this as kind of uh, standard mental health. Uh, there is no real critique of therapy. The kind of statement about therapy is, oh, yeah, it's good to go to therapy. Um, but there's this problem once you're kind of determining what is mental health for people. Uh, and if you do have a good uh, understanding of uh, contemporary psychoanalysis and philosophy, I would argue you can provide a lot better treatment than if you give common sense ideology in the form of thoughts, feelings and behavior, which is the CBT model. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm really encouraging clinicians to apply uh, to apply this. And I and I think with theory people, I'm trying to like remind them, especially like delusions as well, which is, is there is like actual mental health practice that is not going away. Like, right. for instance, like I totally get the critique of like, I don't need therapy and I'm not going to think in terms of mental health because mental health, the mental health paradigm societally has uh, like a, you know, like a, like mm-hmm. I can't even pretend to be Nick Landon. So I was like, like a black tentacle, whatever. Fuck that. I'm not good at that. <laughs> I'll let I'll let all the cool people do that. Uh, but the mental health paradigm has absolutely kind of destroyed the philosophical paradigm uh, in terms of what does consciousness consist of. Um, my wife just sent me like uh, 20 minutes ago. She sent me 
a meme just like oh i'm sick of this mental health identity about like adhd it's like this is something <laughs> you have to know about adhd people and it's like this is a lot of it's like human condition repackaged into identity right. made kind of childish and this is like our understanding of the human subject which is a big problem i get why people try to overcome the human subject but on the on, at the same time you should understand that people en masse are going into therapy and when they get there who are they going to talk to this is like a question so you could say they shouldn't be going but there's like this fact that they are going uh so maybe we should kind of attend to uh what mental health should consist of you know right so that's zizek in the clinic and that's kind of the ego and the hyperstate they're both about that really so right in terms of what is consciousness what is you know I think that's one of the most interesting parts of your work generally is, um, you know, we were kind of talking before the podcast that you have a very interesting relationship to theory generally because you have an active practice. Um, you right. know, you, you practice psychoanalysis, you practice uh, therapy, and you apply these concepts uh, in a very practical way. Um, and I think one one thing that I want to ask you more about that I think you touch on a lot in especially the Zizek in the clinic is how do you see uh, when we have this sort of modern day identitarian mental health that seems to be, you know, you, you can largely argue that a lot of the mental health crisis of today are the result of, you know, external social factors or, you know, just, just yeah. simply the type of world we live in. When, when you're looking at sort of the therapeutic approach, how do you see the relationship between these sort of big, big, you know, social ills such as, you know, capitalism and sort of just the modern day attention economy re related to the individual mental health of the people that you're treating in the clinic. Right. So if you have a groundwork of egoism, it's really important. I would say if you are doing community mental health work in a poverty area, I, I, mm -hmm. I did community mental health work in South Central L.A., um, oh, with wow. a lot of with a lot of people that are getting free uh, mental health funded by the state, some people right. are forced to be there, but a lot of, a lot aren't. Um, and if you have an ego as groundwork uh, with somebody who's getting general relief and trying to live off of like two hundred fifty something a month plus food stamps, um, right. it's a lot. I would say it's a lot better for them than saying, "Oh, you're fucking lazy." And so, you know, in terms of this is how you actualize, uh, it's like you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You need to use these resources. If you don't use these resources, I can't help you. Uh, if you don't do the right thing with your family system, which has been violent for like 100 years or something like that, uh, then, you know, it's, that's on you. So it's the ego approach is ironically like really anti what you would think of egoism because people tend to think of mm. egoism as that bootstraps mentality. Right, but in right. fact, I would say dialectical egoism, TM, not actually TM, uh, di <laughs> but dialectical egoism, which if you Google, you get some other book about Max Stirner. Um, anyway, <laughs> maybe, maybe the Google will recognize that I'm like trying to create a system one day, give it like 50 <laughs> years. Wait till my obituary and Google will be like Elliot dialectical egoism. And then, <laughs> then, then I'll know the absolute, uh, <laughs> if the absolute registered it or not. But if you start with, if you start with, um, 
the ground of somebody's categorical immediate desire, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is why I was was thinking through virtue a lot, and I said maybe we'll talk about virtue, but it's really hard for me to talk about Aristotelian virtue being grounded in Freudian psychoanalysis and dream theory because I kind of tend to think of the ground of intuitive desire or, or intuitive drive, which is to say the spoken you know, desire as, as it is articulated consciously, like the conscious posit and that what is the reason that I'm articulating this now versus how do I then reflect before I speak and then act virtuously or something like that. Um, So yeah, if you work, if you work with people based on this, uh, you get to a lot of a, a big, you know, different places. Like when I started working in South LA, like, I would talk with people that were in, in you know, the, in the gang. So like LA has mostly right. like Crips and they have this one gang called the Hoover gang. They wear mm-hmm. orange, which is like the worst camouflage choice, <laughs> yeah. like orange, Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you talk to people based on their signifiers and what they're repeating and you ask the questions, you get to the trauma, you get to the violence of what they're going through. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the psychoanalytic egoist kind of like method, right? It's it's like a negative yeah. method. It's like I'm saying everybody has this. We have this intuitive desire, but then we like hit hit the negative space, and that yeah. negative space is kind of the world, but also our other abstract values. And what do we do when we hit that negative space, right? This is like this is like the psychoanalytic moment or the kind of theoretical moment. I don't, I don't think like land or um, Deleuze really has a, I don't actually know. Deleuze for me is like a big abstract negative. So I I would have to say like Deleuze might do this. I don't know enough about Deleuze, Mm -hmm. but in terms of what happens when you hit that kind of frustrating force, you know, right. um, And and teaching people to, uh, to hit that negative and stay with the negative and Mm -hmm. understand the absolute kind of correctness of what they decide of how to engage with that negative and teaching them this kind of process. That's like, that's, 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 that's how I kind of work with people. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is different than saying this is how the world should be. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Clinical practice is a lot different because it's always, it's philosophy for the other. Right. So this is really weird. Right. Because this is not like what we what like philosophy does. It's like, what is philosophy for me? But like most of my mind, I'm paid to do philosophy for a second person. Right. Right. Psychology. Well, actually, I'm paid to do psychology, but like I sit in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't really get paid to do philosophy, but I always say to theory people, you know, (laughs) psychology is a. You know, you don't have to be Albert Einstein to get into psychology. I'm just saying. That's true. Anybody, anybody <laughs> in the theory verse, if you, if you could, if you could swing the educational cost or whatever it could be, do therapy. That's, that's my second motive, which is to like sigh out people and to making into a therapy. mass kind of underground <laughs> philosophy therapist movement. <laughs> that, that's kind of, that's like the hidden perverse goal, you know? Yeah. Okay. Do you see one one interesting uh, one interesting thing that I, I've sort of uh, been reading over the past five years or so 
is this sort of switch in uh, uh, political philosophy, even where uh, the idea of psychopolitics is becoming increasingly uh, right. prevalent, such as, you know, beyond Han, but really uh, uh, even Mark Fisher, um, the idea of the sort of mental health sphere being also a political sphere. And right. I'm interested to hear, like, because of your experience, do you do you sort of have an interest in creating um, a, a politics out of this space that we're talking about, this this psychological space? Or do you see that as necessary or do you do you have a different approach? I would love if like AOC read theory, <laughs> like if like some dominant figure on like even attempted to do psychopolitics i think there's like i think i don't know our our general our general kind of environment is a capitalist realist tm fragment pragmatic environment of how to make all the finances work so yeah it would be it would be really good if people were talking about how to navigate society and how to define what healthy mental health is because obviously that like determines what politics if you look at like the trans debate right Mm -hmm. um this is like mental health is front and center with that it's like what is what is what is what is being trans right right uh and this is being trans a mental illness is it even worse is it something like antisocial personality disorder Mm -hmm. uh there are men in dresses and this this sort of and this is what you hear uh from people um right so this is how mental health is thought of as like the, the diagnosis paradigm. Yeah. This is also something I think I, if you could take away one thing or like mental health, like idea, which is there's, there's diagnosis and you guys are great at diagnosis. I'm not so great at diagnosis. Strangely, diagnosis is exactly what you're talking about. This mm. sucks because it's right. this, right? <laughs> I almost don't trust myself with diagnosis. But I like mm. I like to hear people that say all this is shit. I hate it and it sucks and it's actually this, right? <laughs> so that's that's like decode cast. I like I like that. Uh, <laughs> when you and, and then there's something besides diagnosis, right? Like um, there's like articulating symptoms, like articulating the negative or articulating pain. And this is kind of like the smaller. This is like my more modest like focus i would say mm. it's also probably why i'm not so cool like if, <laughs> it's like my eye is kind of always on like this this symptom articulation right i like to listen and hear a lot of feedback about societal diagnoses um right. and i think i have like these hang hang-ups from freud of the medical the, the idea that you are a medical personnel and you can't mm-hmm. do that to people Right. Uh, and I, I would I would love if if like if if more therapist types thought of the diagnosis as like extremely dangerous and caustic in the mental health setting. Right. Uh, but they don't. They don't. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's it is thought of like. Dead, dead category, like the DSM, like Hegel would I don't know what Hegel would say about the DSM, because this is like it is like a list of categories and says uh if you fit this then you're this category it is like literally the definition of the dead kantian 
category. Right. Right. It, it that has no, it doesn't really interact. It doesn't really, you, you can't, what if it's like this, your ADHD affects your autism, yeah, right. but it's like be- becoming, becoming ADHD, becoming autistic. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> that would be much better. Actually. It's like, ah, oh, here's a moment where I was becoming ADHD. I couldn't focus. Here's a moment where I was right. become becoming autistic. You know, I had, I was very sensitive to sound. Here's a, here's a moment where I was like super excited, becoming manic. Here's a moment right. where I like, you know, <laughs> but we do have this, these kind of paradigms uh, of like categories, assignments and being, which are like, which are not great. Um, That's really yeah. interesting though. I really like how you, how you express that of this, uh, this idea of becoming, you know, a certain diagnosis rather than it being such this, this dead category. And I think that speaks to um, what you were saying earlier, even about the psychopolitics of being trans, like the idea that the DSM, you know, DSM four, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if it was DSM four, but the idea that being trans was considered in this dead category, mentally ill and simply considered mental illness. Gender dysphoria. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The gender dysphoria instead of being a uh, becoming trans instead of a yeah yeah and I I think that's a really interesting way to think about psychology outside of these dead categories because it really it really points to what psychology is in a sense that these drives are always becoming something yeah dead dead categories are 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 bad diagnostics Mm. right it's not it's not like based decode cast diagnosing (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's it's more just like here's what was the least controversial thing a bunch of rich fucking assholes could say and apply to people, which yeah. is obviously a terrible way to think of consciousness and philosophy and being, but nonetheless that is that is the paradigm of the DSM. Right? Of the so yeah. Basically everyone's fucked, but we are we already knew this. People are constantly fucked finding out yeah. why the dsm is fucked or why the mental model is fucked i i really think mental health par- there's this other kind of problem of mental health and philosophy like we've lost philosophy as a society mm-hmm. and i think this is like this is this is the bigger problem mental health has come to be like an enemy of consciousness and i mm-hmm. think i think that I think that uh, Deleuze knew this. Every anti-psychiatrist person knows this. But this yeah. mental, the mental health signifier is like an enemy of thought because it, it teaches you to be hypersensitive and to define yourself by a dead category. And it's, it's uh, you know, to have, to have philosophy raised to, um, to general consciousness, I would say maybe more so in France, not really. But like this, this would be the primary goal, like a psychopolitics. It would mm-hmm. be better to have like a general theory politic in psychopolitics could be like your like Todd McGowan types, mm. you know, or like the, these that's, that's good. That's good. But that's like that's only part of what needs to happen, which is like people need to become informed about philosophy. We, we could become, I would say becoming an advocate for philosophy itself is a good is is like a virtue or like a good cause 
right? Yeah. Um, because the world kind of encourages a stunted uh, s- sort of way of living, uh, y- y- you know, um, so, you know, since kind of the Victorian era to, uh, you know, part, you know, capitalist excess to pure, like stunted trad to hippie, like, you know, 60s stuff. This is, is all this is fine. Like this is what world history is to some extent, but wouldn't it be great if the history of philosophy was on the same level of consciousness of general consciousness, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be ideal. I think. <laughs> That's a bit of a Hegelian optimism <laughs> that I love. That I'm absolutely for. <laughs> it, it is a bit of Hegelian optimism, but it's uh, but it's also knowing that like I have a limit of personal virtue and in, in in this sort of thing. I think I I am like kind of like I, <laughs> I don't know like my personal like the inner. I, I have the kid. Speaking of like Zizek, I have the Kinder Surprise. You know the his Kinder Surprise uh, example, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like the inner depth of the person is their intuition and their symptoms. But one way to like get to the outside so we can enjoy the chocolate. The chocolate of this is like philosophy. Yeah. You know, this is like the surface of what we're talking about, and to become kind of advocates for philosophy in general, and to practice philosophy and expand the scope of philosophy. And psychology, insofar as it's philosophy, right? This is like, this is what I think is important. And politics. And I, I think, you know, not to underestimate that, that involves politics as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I think so. um, it's one of those things where it's like the, I, I really like the point that you brought up that, you know, it, it almost seems like in culture, like philosophy has lost its place. It's kind of been dethroned, um, especially in the United States, I mean, around the world, but especially in the United States because of uh, Americans, you know, profound interest in pragmatism, just in general, yeah. and how that takes form in, in the sciences um, and these like atomized um, institutions, like, you know, economics is more important than, um, you know, like philosophy or like the medical field, the, the categorization of ailments, um, you know, and that all has to do with, uh, big pharma. Um, so it's a lot of these things that, um, you know, you can, you, we can, if we choose to analyze society, yeah, we can kind of see all these, um, what do they call um, these ailments of society, we could call them. But I think by, um, by diagnosing society at large with, you know, this like Protestant work ethic, the capitalist realism, subjectivity, um, I think, I think it's less maybe to try to advocate for a um, psychopolitics and more for like a, a return to like a romantic philosophy. Um, mm. I like how you bring up this, this search of virtue and to some degree, right? Because, you know, that's how you kind of go into the Tradcast pipeline um <laughs> Tradcath pipeline the, ser- the, the, the search of virtue i i got into that simply because justin murphy's amusing like oh, yeah. i think like this is like the intuitive psychoanalyst i am authentically amused by him and then doug lane was like oh initially oh don't talk with justin murphy i was like why but it's like funny yeah. <laughs> like, why wouldn't i talk with him you know and then 
I've had that anyway. same same reaction with a lot of my friends. They're like, "Why do you like Justin? And why do you defend him?" I'm like, "Well, I don't really defend him. I just think I think he's really funny. Uh, amusing is a really <laughs> really apt point." And, and, um, and he's smart. I feel like when people like chew over some, they have like a personal kind of neurosis, and they're searching for like a certain authenticity of being. This is like this is philosophy, right? So it's like. That it's you know land has the famous kind of maxim that capitalism is intelligence, but mm-hmm. if you look at actual society, capitalism definitely encourages stupefaction <laughs> in quite yeah. a in quite a lot of ways. You know, um, technology isn't equivalent with the reflection on technology. Um, it's like the the Landian supposed anegoic capitalism is. You know, I think the the other side of that Mobius strip is this kind of general stupefaction that every American encounters very palpably when trying to discuss anything at depth or uh, and I I think people around the world, of course, do as well. I I know for a fact Americans do. I really like (laughs) I really like that you bring that up because, um, you know, it it is, you know, for whatever Nick Lance says about capitalism you know, it's intelligence insofar as, like, you take individual, how do you call them, like, individual processes that occur in the mind that get synthesized by the human subject, and it's like, okay, well, capitalism abstract those and, you know, actualizes them in, like, material substrate. So, yeah, sure, let's say capitalism is intelligence. But then it's like, you mentioned, there's no there's no synthesis. There's no synthesis of that taking, there's no Skynet AI bot. So if you take one yeah. of those processes and actualize it in the substrate, you're gonna get you're gonna get fucking mukbangs on fucking TikTok. Like that's all <laughs> that's all it creates. So it might be super complex and it might actualize a particular like it might optimize for a particular flow, to use a delusional yeah. term. But it doesn't. Well, well, he's anti. He's anti philosophy <laughs> and all the other things that he's anti. He's anti philosophy. I mean, he's anti-human reflection, and this is actually a big problem. And, you know, his idea is uh, human reflection equals the SJWs who I don't like or whatever. But this is like, no, it's it's much wider than a a simple political party. It's like a general stupefaction of world spirit, uh, which is which can be countered by bring raising philosophy to a higher level in general consciousness and not not creating a pop philosophy you know you get like the jordan petersons of the world and this is like this is philosophy for a lot of people you know um and you know most people don't even have that Uh, my wife's mom she said oh i heard this psychologist and immediately immediately (laughs) was like was it jordan peterson it was jordan peterson she's like in her 60s uh so (laughs) you know this this is this is when when people that are involved in uh, communities and there's like a general conservative community, this is like what people are exposed to. I don't think people that are in middle class liberal communities or working class left communities, if there are working class left communities, I don't know. I guess I guess there are. I feel I feel like I feel like reaction working class is very like in vogue lately. At least I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, in terms of like any any sort of left 
work in class politics. I don't know if there is a general philosophy, but besides general, you know, fuck the system ideology, which is fine, you know, in itself, but something, there needs to be something else, like, uh, in general. Because we were talking about Nick Land, I went on the Twitter and I saw I said UFO war, and then I looked up the UFOs, and apparently there's UFOs being shot down. Yeah. You know anything about this? What the <laughs> fuck is happening? <laughs> somebody, somebody just sent me that too. Maybe it's China. Maybe, Maybe it's, it's China. just another it's another this... weather balloon. You know, I think another that's part balloon. of like this whole psyop thing where I think <laughs> they knew that they were gonna like start doing fucking balloons and ufos and all this shit and so they released the documents so that we weren't we were all ready for when we fucking saw the the chinese balloons yeah i think that's i think that's a really good take on that (laughs) i think they they had to prep us for some crazy covert (laughs) covert technology well i just think it's part of like the like the u.s u.s hegemony is finally starting to show uh like fracturing i think that multipolar multipolarization is definitely something that's like within the horizon with world powers like russia and china kind of being like fuck you us we don't give a fuck about what you have to say anymore yeah um and i think yeah like china flying those balloons overhead i think the reason why they released those docs i think uh in part is sure it's a psyop but i think it's a psyop in this in the sense that um in a, in a way, it's almost kind of saying, like, if China and Russia are doing these things, it's because we're allowing it. It's because we've, right. we've already know. Like, it's to con- to perpetuate this narrative that uh, somehow it's still within the structure of, like, U.S. Mm-hmm. foreign intervention, like, constant police state, the U.S. Um, 
U.S. intervention, and I think that's why that's why they released the docs to make it seem it's, like it's they, all under it's all under control. Yeah, we have this, right. That that's the Nick Land idea. That it's the kid with the fake steering wheel. They're doing the kid <laughs> with the. It's like I am driving. No, mom I, and dad. <laughs> no, I definitely I think, think that's that's what's happening, but. I don't know. I think the interesting part too, just about all this, and especially Nick Land, um, going off of what we were talking about last time, is you're so right that like the the whole stupefaction idea with capitalism is so ironic when you're talking to like Nick Land, who's like you know really into dysgenics, you know, and bad genetics, and yet capitalism to me is is, and I think just objectively the most dysgenic force in human history, you know. This. Uh, just genic in what sense as that it it it, <laughs> it, it selects for negative negative genes like selects for negative genes you know hegel would say spirit is a bone yes <laughs> <laughs> even though nick land wouldn't say that but i mean i i don't know intelligent people have really stupid ontologies and epistemologies you know well i think Odd that's the that thing works. with intelligent people like super high iq people is that i think they have the most fucking norm core like <laughs> aestheticization of like like phenomenology like the way that they see the world is mm-hmm. almost like they drink their own fucking kool-aid so sure they create these like programs they create these psyops but it's almost in a way like they drink what they produce so oh, yeah. they, they're on their own Kool-Aid. Yeah, like they, they get high off of their own supply. And, um, at least with a stupid stupidification, I think that um, I think even like Nick Land, like so that's why I like some of Land's earlier writings is because he was like much more sober. In yeah. <laughs> well, maybe even not though sober. he was on meth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was on he was on meth, but the meth made him sober. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really think there is something to that. Um, maybe he was like what's it called i think that there's like that interview with robin mckay where he was like i think robin mckay says that he like smoked weed to um what is it called to self-medicate his anxiety yeah Um, but whatever that's just a tangent uh what i was gonna say is that um i think that like for example like Kant, what is it Kant capital and the prohibition of incest where it's like the you know it's it's be- you can see some of the early some of that some of those writings have an early inclination towards like his later thought in teleoplasty yeah de- like def- it's definitely in that one i recall that one and he calls he i remember in in that phenomena like they're like oh he used to be not reactionary it's like well in that he talks about how yeah it's equivalent to incest to be with someone who's like of a different ethnicity Right. Yeah. And this is like the same thing. As and, and then he he generalizes, <laughs> you know, like how 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 would this come about? And it's like, you know, it's fucking it's the transcendental Kantian aesthetic of of global philosophy that makes that happen. Um, you know, it's that that a priori recognition of the other as something uh, grotesque or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And so it's always like. What? always beforehand knowing how the other is going to react. The, the, the land that I think of that makes me, that really makes me think TM is uh plague rats. Although I forget what that's from plague rats. Land. Oh, yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That was yes, one of his, yes. um, I think, I think that was when he was a <laughs> graduate student at 
Warwick. Yeah. Um, so like this is like a good anti this is like a nice process-based analogy of like the rat disease vectors. I th- yeah. I think he does he tries to keep it materialist, which is ironic. Um strange, I guess for a right-wing person, but he does try to keep it materialist <laughs> in terms of what does the disease vector actually do and the plague rats are really interesting because i don't know if how much he talks about this but in england for instance you know if you didn't die of plague you would then suddenly own three different like farms and things like that so it really it really did fuck with capital quite significantly uh yeah the bubonic plague yeah uh that was crazy <laughs> yeah but there's other things that probably move like disease vectors besides diseases i don't know this is where you this is where yeah. you get it gets like esoteric and it's not so easy to pin down well then in you terms get of, you get like yeah. things like superstition too like that's where i think like like materialist analyses of anything are always going to be like generally reduct reductive so like yeah they 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 have a lot of explicating power um so for example like you mentioned the you know the neo neo feudal lords, you know, they would die off, and then some random third generation farmer would end up with all the property. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, that doesn't explain why they still, people still spread the bubonic plague is because they didn't even know how, um, how it spread. They knew it was something to do with, uh, like pestilence, like rats yeah. and, and shit like that. But they didn't, they didn't have a materialist understanding of. Um, how that it was the happened. it was the witches and the Jews, which is to say right. the Catholics and the Jews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like okay, well, you're literally lynching like some of the cleanest, <laughs> cleanest society, <laughs> cleanest society. So I think uh, you know it's your own your own superstition that uh, was your undoing, which is completely separate to materialism. I think that's where you know more right wing forces. You know, it's like they're your idealism. Well, they have no, you know, when you're a positivist, materialist, you don't have room to think of the nothingness of your own thought, you know. You don't have, like, at what point does Land say, well, maybe this is where ego functions positively. Like, it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that... You don't don't have, like, a temper to to your rhetoric. He functions as a cause for right, like, he is, like, this, he's, like, a leader of right-wing reactionary thought primarily like not not philosophy or better thinking in general um i think he promotes philosophy because like some of the stuff he says is interesting um but i mean primarily he says you know right wing talking points at this point um it's it's i i you know what also i find interesting about land is like the numerology i wonder like like the numerology uh, which is like absolute schizophrenia. It makes me, it doesn't make me worry about Nick Land or numerology. It makes me worry about rationality. Yeah. And I, I wonder to what extent like rationality is as schizophrenic as numerology. That's, that's what, that's why that makes me like nervous. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at what point do we think we're doing rationality, but we're doing like Landian numerology digit counting and all that i shit. think that's one of the points that and i i i don't i don't want to say that i disagree a lot but i really don't like this character um sometimes on twitter uh Compbot, um uh, yeah. where he mentions he, that <laughs> you know all of nick land's project is to kind of like re uh, revitalize um like you know 
quote-unquote rationalism. Um, I think you're 100% right, Elliot. I think that um, I think that it's kind of weird that, not weird, but I think there is this there's this deep trend, this this dream, deep entrenchment at which you know where you you think you're uncovering um, something profound. You're getting access to the absolute. You're uncovering the noumena. Well, it's the beyond. Yeah, it's the beyond. It's like he's trying to he's trying to divine messages from. I I, I can't I like can't in good consciousness use cool lingo. Like I'm too like I feel like <laughs> I have to stick with hype with normcore. Like, from, but it is from the beyond, right? Yeah. So he doesn't, he does because he doesn't read Hegel, even though he is intelligent and reads Kant in a very kind of strict, but kind of off way. If he did read Hegel, he'd understand that this beyond thing, this nominal realm, which he says is this kind of unknown realm and he kind of worships, right? This is exactly yeah. what Hegel annihilates, or tries to annihilate. This is like what rationalism is. Like Nick Land is not a rationalist. Like Kantbot is just like especially like says stupid shit. He's more <laughs> yeah. like he, he's a lot more like a poet or like you know or a comic like Kantbot. Um, but like to call Nick Land a rationalist is like to just say he like once in a while he like has a train of thought which yeah <laughs> like <laughs> it's not like for Kantbot who's like pure just like. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, the nominal beyond, right, to think in a Hegelian sense about the beyond is to positivize the beyond as a concept and kind of see, this is why I like, I like that there's um, a, a big account called Beyond, you know, everyone knows, Beyond Woke, beyond woke and Problematic. Everyone in yeah. the Twitter sphere knows they all love him, except Luke Turner, Metamodern, yeah, guy, yeah. <laughs> who called him anti. I really felt as a Jew, it was my place to be the token jew defending beyond woke yeah problematic but i mean even the beyond signifier as positive like from nisha beyond good and evil it's like it's like a specific kind of mode of being and beyond woke and problematic is like a spe- i would say it's a philosophical mode of being it's like a humorous philosophical mode of being which is yeah. very counter to metamodernism, which I don't like metamodernism because it is yeah. this kind of dead David Foster Wallace, you know, rest in peace, David Foster Wallace, but like new authenticity yeah. is a dead, it's, it's done. Like we yeah. cannot, we cannot, we cannot think philosophically or intelligently and also be like thinking in the vein of uh, new authenticity or whatever. So I think right. this is like really the clash between like Luke, Luke Turner and, uh, and uh the beyond woke uh signifier uh guy <laughs> you know uh but but yeah so land land has a negative realm like land loves to put like abstract negatives like like here's all the people who think this and they're an abstract negative here's right. like what ego is it's an abstract negative here's therapy speech abstract negative here's uh r- here's race or intelligence right. abstract negative and this is this is how he thinks. This is this is the Kantian mode of beyond, not as like, not as within rationality, but as but as factual. And this is like the problem of of uh, of the not of the nomina. Sorry, sorry, cute. <laughs> this, this this well, this is the Hegelian challenge to the nomina, which is to say, beyond is is um, is is not purely is not purely nothingness. Yeah. Right. 
I think that's a, a very, um, it's very symptomatic <laughs> of like anglicized um, delusionism, which, mm. you know, it's, um, and I say anglicized because it's a particular uh, reading of Kantian philosophy. So it's not that it's inherent to Kantianism. It's kind right. of like a post, post-Kantian in the sense of like Saul Kripke, um, what's his, what's a, like Sellers, like these analytic philosophers. So taking what they claim as substantive, uh, like materialist, ag- agnostic materialist uh, formulations of Kantianism, injecting that into Deleuzian theory. And then what you get is, you know, this very like Kantian um, reading of Deleuze, where it's like... Uh, Kantian in air quotes, in case people are listening. Yes, Ka- Kantian in air quotes, um, <laughs> which yeah. is, you know, you get this... Um, you get this delusionism, which it, which is kind of like, it, it always points. You you mentioned this like, you know, this this barrier, this beyond, or this negative. Um, the way that I like to posit it is that it's this this quote unquote fascism that delusions, or like to use egoistic terms, it's a spook, right? It's the spook yeah. that that you point to. It's that empty signifier. And then instead of, you know, combating it or uh, trying to uncover what it is or sublating it into your... Or understanding the infinity of the moment of your moment of negativity. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, instead of, you know, trying to actually, um, you know, come to the causal chains or whatever you want to say um, to uncover it, what you do is you kind of just... Um, in a way, you incorporate it back into your system, but instead of like giving its due diligence to uncover it, you end up you end up replicating the same. You end up like what is it called? Absorbing it, its negativity and then um, like projecting it. Like you you end up being the thing that you're calling out. Um, yeah. So like with Nick Land, you know, it's kind of like this whole thing. His trajectory from. Uh, like liberationalist, anarchist, anarcho-sympathetic uh, position to this like right-wing boomer shit poster on Twitter. Um, in a way that he kind of like, he kind of set himself up. He kind of set that teleology up from the from his inception as a as a critical theorist. Like it, that was always his trajectory in a way. Even when you read his yeah. earliest writings. It was always there. Yeah, definitely. It is, I think, one of the things that people in the U.S. don't realize is how common, I would say, Nick Land's reactionary kind of thought is in the U.K. I was kind of shocked by it, <laughs> getting in the U.K. Uh, and I can see why he kind of goes in this direction. I think there's cause, that's because there's a lot of people to kind of, like, bolster him. You know, the the reactionary current in the UK is very self-assured uh, and it doesn't doesn't face a lot of challenge. It is like communal uh, pockets that doesn't necessarily go into the political sphere. So I, th- I could having lived in the UK now for almost two years, I can I can see how land could easily come from an Anglo tradition or an Anglo applying of Kant to like basic Anglo prejudice. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what if I take my basic Anglo prejudice 
and then do philosophy to it. Which this this goes back to the diet. This is the ultimate Hegelian Illuminati point, which is at least at least they're doing philosophy to it, you know, yeah. because the goal <laughs> the goal is we're raising all of the world in an Illuminati sense to to synthesize or whatever or to sublate uh, philosophy with 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 whatever your whatever your prejudice is. I think all all, all prejudice as well. <laughs> no, I think that, I think that's why. You know, there, there's a lot of thinkers that have come up that I think really recognize this point. It's kind of like this true anti-liberalism, which liberalism kind of posits this like smug, like everyone, like this, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, blanking the like Blanca Rasa, Tabula Rasa of mm. Rousseau, where it's like everyone, like your psyche is empty. It's zero. You always start at zero. It's not until like you develop in the in the social contract that you, you know, these biases can arise. Everyone's kind of like, there's a blank slate at which you start. But I think thinkers like Dugan and Agamben, they kind of point that like, no, there is an aesthetic. There, how, would, how would I say? There is an aesthetic to everyone's philosophy or even, yeah. or even like uh, an aesthetic ontology by which um, you, you do view the world it's kind of like you mentioned, it's like that whole idea of like the the UK, you know, it's kind of like the they have like this Landian aesthetic that everyone's almost like sympathetic to. And it's like, at what point is it, is it an imagined aesthetic and not like an actual ontologized um, framework by which like people in the UK actually work? Like that's like that's their like Anglo realism or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, that's in the, this. That's the discussion of ideology, isn't it? Which is they're all they're all swimming in ideology with kind of the same points, and uh, to what extent land brings philosophy to the the already existing like Anglo ideology. Although I would say, no, I would I almost I almost tried to excuse like Anglo racism. I was like, maybe it's not like racist. It's like what they really like is like nationalist chauvinism. But I think it is just like concentrated you know anglo ideology plus like this like you said the anglo reading of kant uh, with that um yeah i but like ultimately uh like like i was saying young <laughs> uh pre- previously which was uh ultimately in the hegelian sense the ultimate illuminati goal is to just raise philosophy to the general discourse as yeah. uh uh, and raise the level of uh, political discourse and intellectual discourse in general. So, uh, you know, all all ideologies welcome to take take up philosophy, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel about it. I think a lot of people would disagree, especially Marx and Marxists. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I why like... I call myself a socialist instead of a Marxist as well, because I believe there's a social good to to bringing philosophy to these levels and encouraging philosophical thought. Um, and I don't think it's like, <laughs> so. I feel like there's like, um, like, a like not a problem, but like you can definitely see it with currents of like, you mentioned earlier, like pop philosophy and it's, and it's fine. I'm not saying it's bad. I do a lot of pop philosophy in my personal writings and things like that. Um, but I think there is like a, almost like a gross like psyop in which 
like by creating like this you, it's under the guise the ideological guise of like um making philosophy like um what is it called like uh like democratizing philosophy in a way and you know to some degree it's like yeah we should we should like you mentioned propagate philosophy philosophy should permeate there should be this return quote unquote return with a v <laughs> um to you know raise yeah it, it is a bit return with the v kind of vibe <laughs> but for philosophy but i feel like with with um pop philosophy it's almost kind of like it's just they critique and they i'm just gonna throw everyone that does it on twitter they critique uh this like this hyper commoditization of everything but they fail to realize that they do the same thing with their own thoughts you've you've packaged your your thought your your own individuated thought which is unique um it's a unique yeah. perspective well you know the zizak argument about the plus like the plus is not simply stand for everything it stands for a difference itself like non uh you know it stands for a specific thing and like pop philosophy like peterson stands for like a specific thing he's not a promoter of philosophical thought neither is the long-haired guy you know on who's the physics guy you know the gray long-haired physics guy i forget his name Micho oh, steven pinker or yeah no yeah but like steven pinker is another one yeah um there's lots of people who integrate natural science with you know some sort of whoa bro uh wow that's far <laughs> out man like wow can you believe that uh, you know, from conservatives to, you know, Bill Nye, like not to shit on Bill Nye, everyone likes Bill Nye, but <laughs> I mean, but it, but it, it's worth saying that they don't promote philosophy as such. Um, they promote science as such, or, you know, conservatism as such. And we should, we should, I would say, or I, I would say, uh, as, as respected Twitter connoisseurs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should make our goal to to promote philosophy as such uh for everybody and this this is the true like if you're concerned about dysgenics and iq maybe you should you know take a little of that sauce off you know you're really lo- you're lost in the sauce <laughs> you know take some of that sauce away and think about uh really consider the fact that spirit is a bone you know, return with the V to like what, like ancient Athens maybe, but also, you know, this is the, the, it's still like, we haven't seen a properly philosophical, uh, political society. Um, this, this is like, this is like a big problem because we're doing politics without ground. We're doing it with cap with pragmatic capitalist realism uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, hierarchically judged by how many, you know, funny points you have in the bank. Uh, and this is like this. This is this, at what you know. This is kind of what class knowledge is <laughs> a little bit. But mm. you need. But I, I think everybody at this point realizes we need something like a little bit more than class consciousness. We like what is yeah. it? It's not just proletariat knowing itself as proletariat. It's it's this other thing, which is it's you know f- philosophical thinking raised to a higher level, so people can can think through their stupid positions, you know. <laughs> like I'd love I'd love if the DSA was a rational body, 
Like I'd love if D- the DSA made any sense whatsoever, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like they have some, they have some good like critiques once in a while, but I'd really, I'd really like for the DSA to, to like outline what policing should be rather than pure like anti-police. Like this is like my own personal kind yeah. of stuff, but at least have be able to like have the ground, to have a debate of what, what is authority? How should authority be used? Uh, what is society? What is what is society? What is like a kind of integration with community, society, these government bodies, right? Like this is like a like a something I would like people to be able to do. Yeah. But but maybe they they can't yet because we're in this kind of like masturbatory, uh, you know, non-reflective uh, mode where people can't debate each other because you know because them damn. SJWs, but also them damn, them damn triggered neo Nazis can't talk yeah. to each other. Time, so. time, timeline realism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the DSA really died. I mean, for a lot of people, but I think for me especially, the scene from like the DSA convention, I think really encapsulated like how impotent that that party would really be when you see that you know this is supposed to be like here's our platform, like, here's what we represent. And the only thing that that shows is that these people, they couldn't govern a Waffle House if they had to, you know, like the petty infighting about words at that convention was so, yeah, it was so horrific too, of just being like, this is a party, like, like you guys think you can govern, you know, it's like, oh, the impotency of it really made me sad. Yeah. Could you think, would it even be possible in any sense of the word like that the DSA have a conversation of what is governance? Right. There's right. No like in a very basic level, this is like something you should be able to talk about. What is the yeah. responsibility of government? <laughs> you know, it's like right. way beyond like the framework of any, any, it is, it is purely like caught up in the concrete minutia of, uh, you know, hysteria. We need, yeah, it we, is very hysterical. That that that's why we need psycho psychopolitics would be doing philosophy to this. Would be establishing the ground of philosophy. Yeah. This but this is clinical psychology politics, not like you get like uh here's staying with the negative kind of this is the symptoms but like as a clinical psychologist or psycho sorry, psychotherapist, I can't help but to want um you know, to fix it somehow or dream of like a way it could be fixed. I think Zizek brings point to that, which is like, and I think that's where there's a distinct separation where it's like, you know, it's philosophers in a way, philosophers are really good at this. And in a way they should just stick to this, which is the, um, uh, you know, like pointing out the ailments in a society. But I think then, yeah, it's a task of, you know, like clinicians or, you know, someone else to actually like, or, or even like, like psychopolitics in like a concrete sense, like not, not like philosophers, but people who actually can, can be like, okay, well, I- ideology aside, we're going to ground our, our political movement under this. And, you know, we're going to stick to these principles or we're going to stick to these values and actually create or implement material change. Like at the end of the day, um, that thing, that's the problem with, a, you know, with the DSA, which is like, you know, they're hysteric to the point where, they can't they can't even have like you mentioned a conversation about governance because it's like oh well i don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or governance is in, in is fundamentally this is too abstract. yeah 
yeah, it's too, it's, for them, it's, they always, they keep, they, they defer to the most, to the next most abstract thing. And so it's like, at some point you do have to lay foundational groundwork to actually function. You know, return to, return with the V to Kant. In terms of categories, (laughs) in terms of, yeah, you do need to actually expand what it is you're doing and find this maybe higher category of what it is you're doing. You know, I'm, I'm doing revolution revolution in what sense you're doing scientific revolution you're doing governmental okay you're doing governmental revolution so you're doing gov- governance so what should governance consist of what should law consist of right and this is this is like too much like we we are like lost in the interpersonal like kind of what's i don't know if there's capitalist realism maybe there's like i think there's like ignorance realism <laughs> Like we think uh, people are too ignorant to ever really hold philosophy or to like be okay with doing philosophy with each other. But like maybe this is like the the next realism to overcome, which is like we have to somehow get past ignorance realism a little bit. I don't know. But I do I do have some strong ignorance realism with the DSA, but maybe maybe that'll change, you know. <laughs> Maybe overcoming how much everybody hates each other. Yeah, in, in a way, yeah. <laughs> like I think I think that's like a, I think that's why I like uh, Tzijek's POV about like you know Christian atheism. It's like at some point, yeah, you kind of have to like cast aside su- super like rationalist thinking or whatever, like just articulating, being articulate, and kind of just like developing a radical agape where you're like, yeah, fuck it, like whatever. There's a sense of solidarity in the fact that you just have to overcome thinking that someone's a piece of shit or that they're, they're stupid or whatever. It's like, they might be stupid, but at the end of the day, you have to work together to, to get anything done. Yeah. Well, we can do philosophy with other people. If, if you think somebody's too ignorant or too this or that, or you hate them too much, maybe try to do philosophy with them or try to do a dialogue with them. Try to, try to talk with them about basic things about what what they're thinking you know what they're thinking you don't have to be like super ego police of them you can it is better to just talk with somebody you know you know like the the black guy who went to the clan rallies like that guy (laughs) (laughs) he's like a good like world spirit on horseback for what you need to be you need to be like that black guy talking to like the clans people and doing philosophy with them it's like oh why do you think that oh funny you should ask well and then, you know, at least at least being being able to to establish like a ground of discourse is like more. I think people know this. People like complain about cancel culture. People complain about um, a free speech and all that. But like, what I think people are really thirsting for is just a ground of this kind of like profound discourse, rational discourse. Yeah. I think part of that too is just like. Uh, I think a lot of people are sophists in a way. Like they they do get sure. caught, they do get caught up in this this idea that you know it's like they can't have a rational or an articulate uh, conversation with you know any any old old Joe off the street um, because it's like it's you know like you mentioned this this ignorance um, this ignorance realism where it's like they would never understand they would never. Um, they would never 
or or even like the speech that you use right so you you mentioned like this like radical norm core <laughs> way to that you express yourself and it's like at the end of the day um you you have to make you have to be let your language be legible like you have to yeah be in conversation yeah you can't just be talking to yourself <laughs> true <laughs> i mean but you also can't talk to yourself it's, that's that's the dialogue i think we went through quite a bit um any plugins that you'd want to throw in elliot anything working yeah find so you? i'm start i'm starting uh a politics and psychology uh uh youtube podcast after all that pitch for philosophy specifically I know we recorded the first episode. It's just politics and psychology. I'll probably end up talking more philosophy after that, but called Bomb Squad Psych. It's called Bomb Squad Psych. You know, like a bomb squad, but with like psych going to the event, (laughs) going to the event and diffusing or whatever, going to the event and attending to it. So that's, that's uh, the latest project. It's, it's going to be mostly a topic driven podcast with sparse guests, just because it's such a pain in the ass to get guests. I don't need to tell you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh so uh that's i'm doing that with my friend adam the first one is that there's no such thing as free speech absolutism that's the mm-hmm. first that's the first one we've recorded and it was based off of me hearing magnus carlson say kind of offhand oh i'm a free speech absolutist when he's doing like blitz chess yeah. and i was like i was like he just threw that out there and like didn't expand when you know when Magnus Carlsen, being like high IQ super genius, says something, it almost makes me it po- gives me pause. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Um, and I looked up further, and he's promoting like this Trump aid social media as well. Uh, so he is like fully lost in the sauce of free speech, you know. And this is like the world number one chess player, obviously super yeah. high IQ guy, right? Um, but this is like we we discuss the class character of free speech absolutism and that there is you know you cannot simply like uh say uh that that free speech is the is the highest categorical issue and talk a little bit about uh what you know free speech in the context of justice in the context of free speech being a negative right for the government not to interfere and what the difference is between people making spaces and you being able to not be kicked out which is its own form. And so we, we talk all about that. There's, there's no such thing as free speech, free speech absolutism, because it's good to know that because people call for that all the time. Yeah. Right? Uh, so that'll be on my YouTube, which is the Elliot Rosenstock YouTube. And if you subscribe, that would be good because I'm like 126 away from like monetization. So everyone, oh, wow. subscribe, everyone subscribe to Elliot Rosenstock YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, you guys subscribe heard it. You guys, the, yeah, YouTube. you guys heard it here first. You guys better subscribe. I, we get at least that many, at least that many listeners. So they, there yeah, should definitely be, be be enough people yeah. there to subscribe. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really great to have you on, Elliot. And I, I do uh, recommend our listeners pick up both of your books um, from Zero Books. Um, Feel free I've to only... pirate it. Okay, yeah, or steal. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to steal it. I encourage it even or or buy it if you really feel the need to have a hard copy but yeah i don't know <laughs> and then also follow yeah. we'll we'll have this linked um in the twitter post but also follow uh elliot's Substack. uh a lot of great insights there a lot of some some really good posts um i try yeah, to promote if you it. want 
if you want to see self-reflective becoming autism at at its best philosophy <laughs> that is that is my that is the substack it's definitely expounding the dialectical egoism theory one post at a time so if you if you like egoism if you like dialectics if you like philosophy subscribe to it and 20, then, 21st century synthesis I, com- I completely forgot to ask you this during the podcast so um probably not a good probably not a good place to to put it right at right at the end but uh what's uh, what's your relation to to vaporwave <laughs> what's my relation to vaporwave <laughs> it just kind of looks like cool it kind of says it's like a little bit different i feel like it gets bit a little bit but it's but it's it's i don't know it's it, it i think it's a tribute to the virtuality of uh this discourse a little bit you know no i def- definitely I, I, and i think it does reference classics you know i think there's there's a need to do uh to retake kind of classical uh you know philosophy aesthetics and so on in a way that's not purely reactionary uh so I, I would like to consider myself a part of that. Nice. So that would be my relation with Vaporwave. Very, very, um, very close. I, I, we try to do that with a lot of the the podcast um, yeah. art too. So, Yeah, I, I also contribute to what is it, Vectroid's uh, Patreon. Yeah. So that's my, I do financially support Vaporwave <laughs> as well. <laughs> so side yeah. note. All right. Well, it was a pleasure having you on, Elliot. And um, if everyone that's still listening, thank you so much for joining us this week. And we'll definitely uh, appreciate it. So if you, you know, already follow us, uh, make sure to leave a like. And if you can, subscribe, share with your friends. Um, but we'll see you in the next one.